You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Team Room. Uh, we are obviously in the team room because I just said it, but that's okay. It's been a little while since I've done an intro, so I'm working on it. But uh, we have a very special guest today. Him and I have been friends for since uh, I think 2011 is when it was. So we have Command Chief Adam Vesey. But before we get into that, uh, I do want to thank everybody for subscribing. We really appreciate it. You know, when you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, subscribe on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, watch us on YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. So we really appreciate it. And because we appreciate it, uh, we have some of our our you know, friends, businesses that we, we kind of partner up with because uh, they help us out and they're going to help you out. So if you guys go check out Eberly Stock, you know, they've got great packs, great clothing, military gear, hunting gear, everything like that. Uh, promo code is ones ready, ones ready for those guys. And then you can also check out Outer Regs Pomade. So obviously I'm wearing a hat, so I'm not using it because I don't quite have the hair of a PJ. But uh, Aaron, Trent, and Brian all know that Outer Regs is where it's at. They also have a promo code, One's Ready. So if you want to get your hair did, go over that way. So, like I said, back to our guest, good friend of mine, Command Chief Master Sergeant Adam Vesey. Adam, or Chief, I'm just going to go Adam because I know you too well. So will you uh, give us a, a little bit of a background of, of how you managed to keep your hands out of your pockets so that you could climb the ladder of success? You got it. Hey, Peaches, it's really, really great to join you all here. Uh, I've seen all the work that you guys have been doing in One's Ready and having some pretty uh, strategic leadership uh, share their message. Um, and I'm, I'm humbled to be able to give my story. Uh, and tell you a little bit about me right now. So I'm uh, Adam Vesey, Command Chief for, for uh, Second Air Force, uh, second to none. I grew up in the Air Force uh, as a as a TACP airman, and uh, was stationed all over the world in Fort Drum, New York, four times in Korea, uh, six years out with the 25th ID in Hawaii, four ID out in Colorado Springs, and uh, my three Command Chief jobs where I was the I had the privilege to serve as the command chief for the 28th bomb wing in, in South Dakota at Ellsworth Air Force Base. And then prior to assuming this position, I was the command chief at the 51st fighter wing in Osan Air Base in Korea. Uh, this A-10s, F-16s, and uh, it was a fantastic mission. I'm married, got uh, me and my wife. Uh, she's been putting up with my clown act for a long time. I, <laughs> I'm married up for sure. It's a blessing. And you know, Peaches and I, we share a lot of... Uh, a lot of experiences with standing up our JTAC weapons officer course. And uh, I think we'll probably get into that here in a minute, but uh, that was probably one of the, one of the coolest things that I ever had the privilege to do in our air force was being associated with that institution and, and taking it from where, like you said, cleaning out the, the dumpsters to producing weapons officers. So it's pretty fantastic. Um, so yeah, I've been in 27, 27 years uh, in, in our air force. And uh, I'm continuing to serve because I, lo I love what we're doing. And I think what we're doing is important. So hopefully that checks the boxes on an intro for you, Peaches. But uh, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, we definitely appreciate having you on. And I think, uh, yeah, checked all the boxes there, especially, you know, talking about the weapons school. I know Peach talked about it a couple of times, but I mean, just being around those higher functioning individuals where everything is expected of them. And it's like the best of the best of the people that are going out there to, you know, as far as JTAX pilots and everything like that, being exposed to that, I'm sure, you know, really elevates your game as well. Just, you know, the way of thinking and that kind of stuff. But I want to bring it back to, because as you know, our listeners are people that are trying to get into this whole thing and um, figure out the whole mess and we always want to start with like uh, the reason why people started joining in the first place I know everyone has their own little story and what kind of made them uh, um, follow the path they did but you joined before 9-11 happened so you know a lot of people after had a specific reason why they joined um, but what was your kind of why and what made you go towards the Air Force and TACP and everything like that sure uh, so I was Initially, I went to, went off to college to try to 
to try to work, work my way through life. And, uh, you know, just the way that things had it, I struggled a little bit being, being away from my family. Uh, I, w- I needed a little bit of structure. So I moved back home, uh, for, went to Kent state university for about six months for a semester. And, uh, so I had to move back to my parents' home, uh, you know, enrolled in Youngstown state university, was hanging out with the same dudes doing the, doing, you know, dumb stuff that teenagers do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I realized quickly <laughs> that I needed to get some structure in my life. Um, my dad served in the Navy. My grandfather served in the Navy. Uncle served in the Navy. Um, my cousins were, were both Marines. So, you know, I'd seen what they had done and gotten go off and to see some cool places in the world and get some education and some money for education. So that was initially my, my reasoning for joining us is I, I wanted to get out of Youngstown, Ohio and uh, get some structure and start to, you know, become my own man. Uh, the, the, obviously that was pre nine 11, but, uh, I initially came in to, to try to be a combat controller and, I uh, spent a couple of months down there at, at Lackland at the OLH and, uh, got washed out and I went over and joined the, the, uh, the ranks of the TAC B, uh, I had, I had, uh, trouble swimming. Uh, I just, I wasn't prepared at that time in life to succeed at that high, uh, high demand career field. So I, you know, I tried it, um, and went over to, to tech P and then that was the, that was my career path took over from there and, uh, graduated tech school and went up to Fort Trump. So that's the reason why I joined is just need, needed some structure and, uh, I wanted the world and, and get some money for college. <laughs> well, I definitely feel you there, chief. I mean, I was pretty much the same, same boat. Um, not a lot of my family was part of the military, but I was the same way, just total turd as I was going through college <laughs> and wasn't doing anything in my life. And I was like, all right, let's get some structure just like you. And I think, um, military, you know, yeah. for myself personally, definitely made me a much better person. Um, but thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you know, specifically, you know, you, you were kind of joined, like I said, in an era before all this stuff happened and you got to experience the air force prior to nine yeah. 11. Do you remember what happened and where you were all that kind of stuff whenever nine 11 actually took place? And then what kind of happened as far as your mindset transition from, Oh crap, stuff's going to happen now and it's going to get way different. What was that like for you? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was an instructor down at Herbert field at our, at our, when our TAC P school schoolhouse was at, uh, Herbert field. And I was waiting in line at the gate and then the, uh, the FP con measures changed and the, tr- the traffic was very lengthy to get in, into the base. And, uh, as soon as I got into, into the office, you know, we turned on the TV in the conference room and saw it all happen. And, uh, you know, we, we quickly rallied our, our airmen and said, Hey, you guys that are getting ready to graduate tech school, you're, you're going to be going into the mouth of the cat here pretty soon. Um, with what just happened, we knew that we knew that things were going to change the way that our, our country were, were doing things were going to change. And, you know, it, it, it accelerated a lot of things that we were doing in tech school instructing wise. Uh, you know, we, we, we ramped up the things that we were doing for small unit tactics and getting our, getting our airmen ready for field training. And, uh, that was some of our focus areas where we were really, really, uh, ramping up and, uh, block seven is a block that I used to teach was close air support procedures. So I, we really, really had to get our game together so that, you know, those young men, you know, young men that were getting ready to graduate was like, Hey, you're not going to be a JTAC, but there, there could potentially be an opportunity for you to control an airstrike. So uh, we really had to, to increase that, the training there in block seven for our, our cast procedures. But yeah, that's where and- I was. And that's what, that's what happened for me. So. And I know that must be a difficult position to be in as an instructor when obviously you wanted to actually go out there and do all these things and take care of the fight. Um, but you were in an instructor position. So obviously you had a separate mission set that you had to take care of at the time. Um, and I know, you know, previously being an instructor and everything, you, you take a lot of ownership of the people you're about to send out the door. And I felt that when I was going through, I mean, I came in 2005 and a lot of my instructors at that point hadn't had, um, the opportunity to do the things that they wanted to do. Maybe they had been at the instructor position, you know, for three years or whatever, and they weren't able to participate in everything that was going on, but I could feel their frustration and the things that they did. A lot of them ended up going to the 24th or going to one of those higher units where they deployed a lot because they kind of felt that, um, that need to contribute and get in their hands in the fight and everything like that. 
what did it feel like for you, you know, obviously, um, getting ready, getting these guys ready and everything. Did you change anything else about the way that you were teaching or later nights or any of that kind of stuff? And what did you do after um, the schoolhouse? Yeah. So, um, we didn't have, we didn't have any extra airmen. So we needed to actually put all of our brain bites into, into getting the guys that are in the pipeline ready to go. Uh, not that it was just a, a smoke session to try to weed people out, but that we really, really had to change the way that we were instructing uh, to get people ready for combat versus going to your first unit, doing your CDCs. You know, it was more operationally focused. Um, we increased the the things that we were doing at, with at physical training. You know, it's like trying to prepare the human being to to be the most successful uh, as they as the weapon system as they're going into to combat. Because a lot of I remember the the initial wave of guys that went out from the 82nd, you know, it's uh, Ray Lostano was one of the airmen that I pushed through, through tech school. And he's one of our, was one of the first uh, TACPs that was killed in Afghanistan. And when Ray, when, when I know when Ray got, I got word that he had, he had passed. It was, it was like, man, he was just here. He was just here at the school. And, you know, a lot of us instructors were sitting around and we're like, man, did we prep Ray? for what he was about to experience in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, we, we all looked at each other and was like, I think so. I think so. It's just, we need to focus and prepare the dudes uh, mentally and physically. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a very, uh, different dynamic when you think about it. So you have the guys now guys and girls now that are going through assessment and selection, the pipeline, their instructors and the instructors for the last, I don't know, 15 years, yeah. A lot of them are all, um, you know, for lack of a better word, war heroes. You know, they've all got these very magnificent stories about, you know, how they were against all odds, firefights, calling in cast, danger close missions. And uh, it's a lot different now. You know, these these instructors, like they get to hear all these stories, whereas, you know, when you were an instructor – there wasn't as much of that, you know, you had some of the conflicts beforehand, but, um, a lot of people now that I've noticed because of those instructors that are there, you know, at the pipeline schools are, have these amazing stories, people kind of expect that now. And, you know, we just had, um, command chief Greg Smith on the, the SOCOM C-cell and he described, you know, how we are transitioning and, and just thinking about it, a lot of these instructing or these uh, instructors stories are going to start shifting and changing as, you know, old farts like us end up retiring and getting out. Yeah. Um, I, I just I wonder what those stories are going to be like and how that generational shift is going to happen. Not not necessarily a question, just kind of thinking out loud, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's definitely going to be a challenge for sure. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. Go. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, you know, just the evolution of technology and the jokes that are going around in the team room are with now like the ATAC stuff and versus just you know 152 or 148 problems or whatever like we used to joke about. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a generational shift. And as social media and all this other stuff, I mean, the meme wars that are going on all over <laughs> social media is is definitely a whole new way to banter between teams because it used to just be like, oh yeah the seals always have their solomons that they're wearing and you can tell that this is the way a seal looks and whatever but we used to say it face to face and now it's kind of like what is the new thing that we're going to be you know <laughs> arguing about so as people come back from deployments who knows what the deployments are going to look like i mean it was crazy to hear the sea cell talking about diving under oceans and other like ice shelves and it was just, it was just crazy but have you seen uh, uh chief a uh, big difference in the people that are coming back from war, like after nine eleven, that kind of stuff. And as far as uh, mentality and that kind of stuff versus, you know, obviously the other conflicts that you guys were uh, involved in beforehand. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure that we all have those, those guys and gals that were affected by traumatic events. Um, you know, if you think about the, the folks that came back from Vietnam and how that affected them mentally and, and socially, uh, it's some of the similar things that are happening to guys that are coming back from downrange. And I think that drove a lot of investment that we've been doing lately with the POTIF initiative of putting those helping agencies where the operators can get to them. 
um, you know, within the, within the squadrons or within the team rooms and, you know, just so that people are familiar with who they can go and talk to about, you know, if they, Hey, I'm having, I keep seeing this, this incident replaying in my mind and I screwed up. So, you know, you, you get a lot of, a lot of helping agencies that are right there uh, to get left a bang so that our, our folks know that, Hey, this in the squadron, I know that I know that person, I trust them. Um, so I've, I've seen like an evolution of taking care of the human being, um, specifically in what we do as, as a business. So yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of guys struggling with, with, uh, TBI and, you know, PTSD, but I, th- I think it's trending more toward, uh, the, the levels that we want with, the, with, you know, based on the initiatives that we've taken by putting those people in the squadron to, to help get the minds right. And not only in the squadron, you know, it, we've talked about POTIF on this a lot and I always go off on a tangent, but, um, I mean, yeah, it's it's great that we have these folks in the squadron at the squadron level, and the guys take advantage of it, and it, it truly helps them out. But now we've also, you know, when we we visit the pipeline, we start talking about that, and you know, we've we've said it before. Hey, it's like a, a collegiate or a professional NFL team going back to the pipeline, but it it really is now the level of equipment training. Uh, you know, the, the professional staff that yeah. we have on there, it, it's mind-blowing. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad you – what's that? If that stuff was there when we were going through school, like just maybe like how we gutted yeah. through some, some stuff. And, you know, if you had the coaches and the strength and conditioning dudes just preparing you to, to go and be the best that you can be, I mean, it's freaking awesome. Well, and, and not just like, okay, so take it. Take it even farther back, um, you know, so an individual goes, he sees a special operations recruiter, you know, he goes to MEPS and then he comes back and he gets into a development program. Okay, so you have, you know, uh, either separated or retired PJ, CCT, TACP, SR, um, some SEER folks, I believe. They're, they generally try and keep it within the AFSPEC war career fields, but yeah. They're doing development sessions, and you're getting that that one-on-one mentorship with with these guys. Then you come in the basic, you get your own, you know, special warfare basic flight where you're allotted more time to to sleep and uh, eat and train and that kind of stuff. And then you're getting some of that more one-on-one time. And then you go to prep, you know, and then you got eight weeks of prep, and then A and S. I mean, and, it, and you're just constantly getting this this smart way of training it's it's fantastic and like i said we we talk about it all the time but it's just it really is mind-blowing and and i know you appreciate it and i mean kind of you brought it up anyway like have you been able to really um keep your ear to the ground if you will on on the pipeline i know in the position you sit you you pretty much have to be yeah we spent a lot of time down there at the the SW showing folks everything that we're doing down in the human performance group. You know, we brought the space force chief of staff in general Raymond and chief Toberman and, and showed them everything that we're doing for the human being from mapping to uh, utilizing the pucks to, to, to track sleeping, to, to track their diet, their urine and, and physical output. Uh, and just how, you know, that's, that's foundational, you know, you're, you're building a foundation. That's, that's what our people expect. And, and that's, that's the level of, of commitment that, you know, you, you sign up to serve in our, on our air force or space force, you're going to get, you're going to get some pretty cool stuff and some, some amazing training. And, uh, what the human performance group is doing down at SW is, is groundbreaking. Even with smarter being, how we're tracking people's progression. And then, you know, that's, that goes from, from pipeline to pipeline to pipeline to your first unit and, Peaches, you get a you get a dude that shows up, and you can look back to how he or she performed all the way into to SW prep. Uh, it's pretty pretty amazing, it's genius. Yeah, and it's something that we should have been doing a long time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely replacing the just you know rumor mill 
before people just used to call back and say, Hey, have you heard of this guy? Um, how do you do before, before he shows up, you know, they ask the instructors and they're like, well, I guess he did good in this course, but I heard there were some rumors of him doing not so good during whatever course, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, they're building a history now. And when I was down there, they were doing, uh, you know, these little pucks that these said strap people's chest and track their sleep and do all these different tracking measures that, uh, tried to enhance recovery, performance, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm curious, you know, in your position, since you've kind of, you've been around for a really long time and seen people succeed, fail at all this stuff. And like you said, ear to the ground with the special warfare training wing and everything. So um, would you say that there is any particular um, specific met- metric or measurement that you have seen um, help people be specific in? You know, obviously, like I said, uh, most of our people are kind of, figuring out how to navigate this whole thing and like do I focus on push-ups, whatever that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, is there anything specifically that you guys track and you're like, this is probably one of the highest predictors of success for them. Yeah. Just, uh, I would say your, your ability to be a team player, uh, to think and, and to, to take care of other people and yourself, uh, selflessness, um, prepare yourself, you know, look at the workouts that are out there for, for swimming. And I was talking to a recruit in, uh, in Alabama in mobile, he was getting ready to enlist and he's, he's, go- he's coming to the SW, uh, wing, I think in a, in a couple of months. And he was like, what do you think I should start doing? I was like, do you know how to swim? <laughs> start swimming. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I, I think I, I'm fairly decent in, in swimming. And I was like, all right, oh well, my gosh. there's a lot of other stuff that you need to be confident at. And, uh, you know, that was, that was one of the things that I was thinking about. I was like, man, if I knew what to prep for before going to basic training or to go to the OLH, I might have, I might have been a little bit more successful than I was. And that's back when we were bringing in like hundreds to get 10, maybe 20 people to go into yep. the pot, the washout rates were just crazy. And I think that's Peach's hit on it. And it's, uh, I think it nests with recruiting. Uh, if we get our recruiting region, regional guys that are, that, you know, that can, they got a dude that comes in in Des Moines, Iowa. He wants to be SW. He should be able to reach out and, like you said, Brian, is get some workouts and prepare yourself physically and emotionally for what's going to happen. But uh, those are some of the things that I would initially say are, keys to success are those that are that are more team centric that are not individualistic that uh you know that are that are ready to get after it individually but they know that uh hey it's a be in order to be successful i got to pull a couple of teammates along with me and then well, good luck <laughs> good luck to that kid because uh i mean i hope he makes it but boy he ain't starting off good uh That's right. because especially because it's not it's not just PJ, SR, CCT that do swimming these days. The CCT or the uh, TACPs are definitely getting into the pool now. I so <laughs> you're uh, you're starting behind the power curve a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of advice. Get in the pool, man. <laughs> yeah, get in the pool, and if you don't know how to swim, uh, you know we've said it before. There is always, and I know so many people are going to connect with this. When you go to a, a pool that's off base or even on base, really. Um, there is always like an old man, you know, just out there, just swimming laps. And that's all he does just all day long. Go find that guy Oh yeah, and ask him like, Hey, can you help me out a little bit? Because he will gladly help you out. But every, see, even you guys, you guys know exactly who I'm talking about. That old guy at the pool. (laughs) Like that's the dude you go. Yeah, exactly. His name is Peaches. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll take that one. You're older than me, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, Brian. I would I, I would also like to add is uh, one of the things the keys to being successful is is to get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Because a lot of guys and gals that initially come in and say, "Hey, I want to try this," and as soon as you put a little bit of stress on them, I quit. I'm out. Just get you. You got to start being comfortable being uncomfortable. Heat, stress, sleep deprivation. Uh, those sorts of things. So, yeah. And there's uh, a lot of guys that reach out to us and they're like, Hey, where should I start when I'm training? Like, okay, well, let's start with what you know, you're going to have to do a pass test. Like everyone Mm -hmm. knows you're going to have to do a pass test. And just like you guys were saying, you know, just because you don't think your job 
is going to make you have to swim or make you have to ruck or make you have to do whatever, why wouldn't you practice these things? You know, eventually we know that we always talk about, you know, interoperability and these podcasts. Like if there is a mission and something goes on and they need a dude that knows how to swim, you just took yourself out of that pool because you felt like you didn't want to prepare, you know, success is when preparation meets opportunity. And if you're not preparing, then you're not going to get the opportunity to do those things that you want to do and put yourself in each situation that happens. So yeah, a hundred percent, you know, with a mindset preparation, with a physical preparation, all that is going to pay dividends whenever you actually get to the course. And, you know, even if you're showing up, you're not going for a PJ or whatever, you're showing up as a seer guy that's way more in shape than anybody else. Then that, I mean, that's, you know, no brainer that you're going to be a successful candidate because you have all the stuff, you know, why not train to that highest level? People are also going to look up to you like for, you know, in our society or culture, um, you, you may not be the best guy, but everybody tends to look up to people that are in shape. And I think it's because of discipline. You yeah. know, we recognize that discipline in people. But, um, you know, Adam, you, you bring up a couple, you brought up a couple different things that seem to be common throughout the successful people that we have on this podcast. Um, and that comfortable being uncomfortable and how do you, how do you train your mind? I think people believe that this is—it's going to be some kind of wazoo thing. Like I need to be putting myself in the in the mud and making it suck and all that kind of stuff. It could be as simple as I'm going out for a six-mile run right now. At mile four, I I'm like, dude, this sucks. Whether it's elevation or I'm just out of shape or whatever. So I have the option: I quit at four miles or I finish it. Like it's really easy to just quit at that four miles when I'm I'm hurting really really bad, oh, yeah. or I just go, hey, you know what? I, this is not a decision point for me. There, there's no like I'm not even giving my the myself the chance or the opportunity to opt out. I'm finishing it, and I'll feel better at the end, of course. But it's something as small as that, recognizing and knowing I'm just not quitting at four four miles. I intended to do six. I'm going to do six. It's something simple as that, at least for me anyway. And I, I think I think that probably translates to you guys. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, another I'd rant. say, yeah, <laughs> a lot of guys talk about like, I'm going to do a tough mutter or like you said, I'm going to go jump in the mud and then do this crazy thing and then whatever. It's like, that's not what makes a person tough. What makes a person tough is doing those little battles in your head daily, whether it's waking up early or going on that run or just sticking with the workout till the end. Like you said, Peach, it's those little tiny things that makes people mentally tough over time. It's not doing one really difficult thing a month and saying, I, I filled my quota. It's what's going to make you successful is those little tiny things every single day that aggregate and make you, you know, better over yep. a couple of years. All right, Adam. So you went from being, or you still are. I'm. You're still attack B. I'm sorry. You're still attack B. I, I am. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I still, so I you still, went. I still rock the bra every now and then. Hey, good. Hey, there he is. <laughs> so you went from being attack P, um, then you went to being a schoolhouse instructor, then you went to being a weapon school instructor with me, squadron chief. Group chief, I think you're a, a two times wing command chief for from a for a bomber squad or a bomber wing and a fighter wing. Then you did some time in Korea, and now you are the second Air Force command chief uh, under ATC, and you own a whole lot of of real estate and people under your span of care, right? Yeah. So, like, as as a someone who has just now reached a squadron level, like I'm already overwhelmed and you know, it's, it's putting me in my place and it's extremely humbling. What is that like for you? So, yeah, uh, it is absolutely awe inspiring to see what, what we do as a training enterprise and uh, just the throughput. If you think about uh, what second air force just does in the 37th training wing is basic military training. So every single airman, that comes into our Air Force, about 36,000 folks a year come through basic training. 
And then they farm out to all of the tech schools. So um, if you think about all everything that falls under non-flying training and some flying training, we have the uh, the Air Crew Center of Excellence underneath the 37th wing for uh, all of the career enlisted aviators. They go through the 37th wing before they go farm out to their to their flying training. So Second Air Force owns all non-flying training for the Air Force, plus the uh, Air Crew and Center of for enlisted aviators. Um, so that's about that's about ninety ish percent of the force that comes through goes through Second Air Force through our pipelines, um, and it's pretty cool. I mean, you get, it's eighty uh, first here at Keesler. They you know they're the center for cyber. Seventeenth um, training wing down at down at uh, Goodfellow. They're they're the center for for intelligence training and fire department uh, for all of, all of our firefighters. And then the 82nd wing out at uh, Shepherd Air Force Base. That's all maintainers and logisticians. So it's pretty massive. Um, the, and then the Special Warfare wing, where we get all of our all of our AFSCs to go through there. So it's pretty pretty impactful. And and if you look at, you know, you'd mentioned uh, the ATAC and you know what the guys are doing. Like they they. It's so important now that we've actually changed our foundational competencies and we added in digital literacy for a foundational competency for any airman that comes into the Air Force. Um, I would probably argue that those folks coming into the doors, they are digitally, digitally literate. Uh, it's guys like me that are not. <laughs> I'm more tactile. You know, I've got to have my map and knee board with my fat kit and you're you're, you're talking stuff that everybody else is like god he is so old <laughs> <laughs> so what can you i mean as somebody who is probably also in the same bin as you are what is digital uh what is that encompass rather like when you guys are, are testing for that yeah so it's probably just a matter of time before every airman that comes into bmt they'll get a tablet uh, issued to them. And it'll, you know, we all have those black leather bins where we kept our, our study guides, yeah. uh, all the space force airmen get tablets now. So they're all of that stuff, you know, they got an iPad and they're sitting there and they got all of their, their bins and study material right there on an, on an iPad. So they can link in through learning Wi-Fi to take their tests and give feedback. And so it's pretty immediate. Uh, same thing with our uh, military training instructors and military training leaders, the MTIs and MTLs, you know, those folks are able to to grade and and, and fire back 341s and spot reports immediately. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, ta- I'm going all, all into AETC, but uh, I don't know. Peaches, you probably know what a 341 is. You had a couple of them taken in front. <laughs> no! <laughs> Yeah. So how do they do that on a tablet now? I mean, they just yeah, exactly. like send an email like you just got yeah, text me. <laughs> my three, four, one. Yeah. <laughs> Sliding into your DMs. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be one of the foundational competencies. You know, it's like, uh, it's just the ways that we, we can recruit and meet the airmen where they want to learn. And I know that's one of the questions that you guys were, were asking is, or what are some of the things that ATC are, uh, are doing differently? And some of the things that we're doing is, uh, it's, you know, it's airman centric learning, uh, competency based, um, for instance, we have, uh, I always like to use this example. We had a, a, an airman coming in who's already, uh, she works for Orkin and she's coming in to be pest, uh, pest management. It's like, she's already got some skills, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, can we, can we forward her through the pipeline a little faster? Does she need to go to certain blocks or not? Um, so that's some of the things that we're looking at doing right now is airman centric competency based. If you've got some competency and say you're, you're a welder or you've done some things on the outside and you come into our air force and, you know, you can move through the, uh, the blocks of training a little quicker, uh, speed of learning. So flip the classrooms. Uh, and I don't know if like, uh, that's some of the things that, that are really, really big right now is, you know, airmen come into the classroom and they have like four different sections of chairs uh, with tablets at it. And, uh, you know, the instructor comes up, throws a question down on the table, and it's more of a coaching and guiding discussion because um, you never know if you're going to be the airman that's going to have to teach. You know, the homework for tonight is to read chapter two, uh, but the airmen don't know who's going to come in and teach that lesson. 
so they're teaching each other. They're learning from each other. And the, the instructors are more of a guiding and coaching and mentoring for some, for some AFSCs, because a lot of the stuff that we still do is, you know, it's, it's got to be hands-on, instructional, uh, guided. But there's a lot of things that we can do that they can, the airmen can teach themselves and learn faster. Um, a lot of v AR and VR, so virtual reality and augmented reality. So those are the, those are the big things that ATC are, is doing right now. Jeez. Yeah, I could definitely see that paying dividends, you know, if you have more um, group paced, as long as everyone's, you know, and it also forms bonds as far as teams and that kind of thing that are, people are going to be, you know, going through tech school with, you're going to remember these people for life. But sure. if you're able to help each other, push each other through, just like we do, you know, with selection and previously for indoc is you're helping each other learn and that kind of stuff. I think that's pretty awesome to do. The only question I have is, what about those country bumpkins that <laughs> all they did was work on the farm and, you know, feed hay to the horses their whole life. But I think they do a really good job with, yeah. um, you know, gutting it out, making sure the mission gets done, fixing the vehicles when that breaks down and that kind of stuff. It'd be interesting to see how those kind of outliers, you know, integrate in with the uh, technological aspect there, of everything. There's nothing wrong with that. Cause if we talk about speed of learning, you learn at the speed of, of your competency. I mean, if it takes you a little longer, then it takes you a little longer. But if there are folks in your class that are learning faster, that they can move through the blocks quicker and into the, into the combat air force quicker. That's, that's where we need to be is to, to so, get the airmen into the fight quicker. So we're talking about like, whether it's implemented or not, you're essentially talking about like challenge courses, right? like blocks of instructions that are challenges. If you have that background or you're almost able to test out of it and right. then you can move on to another block of instruction. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's we great. used, That's we great. used to do that for the, uh, the free fall. Like uh, yeah. there was a, there was a portion of time where if you were a civilian skydiver, you could essentially skip uh, free fall school. You just kind of do a three or five jump challenge. I'm kind of talking out my ass here because I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like that. And we had a bunch of people that were skydivers before they came in and they just skipped most of free fall school. Sure. Yeah. But don't worry, you guys aren't skipping. You're not skipping A&S. So that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do one smoke session. If you're successful, then yeah. you get you get through the rest just a quick <laughs> skip to the pretest. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be an awesome thing to do just to skip all that extra time. If you have like, I don't know, paramedic certification, basically they already do that in the PJ pipeline. Um, you know, if you have that certification, you can skip ahead and it's kind of advantageous, advantageous to get the guy in the fight a little bit sooner. You know, people say they miss out on some of the team aspect of it, but I always said, you know, if you get to bond with two different teams, especially when you're in the pipeline, you're going to see them again, you know, at whatever unit you end up going to. And then later on down the road, and you know, a bigger span of the career field, because as you know, I only went through with one particular team the entire time. And I pretty much don't, didn't know very well other people like besides in passing as I continue to grow up through my career. And I think it would be more advantageous to know more people in the career field. So, you know, another yeah. benefit of having that uh, progressive type of uh, pipeline that you can do yourself. So, um, Another thing is, uh, obviously, we're talking about AATC changes, that kind of stuff. Um, is there anything specifically that you guys are geared on or focused for special warfare as far as either pipeline or other training opportunities that you guys might be looking into? So, yeah, uh, the, the special warfare wing specifically is there. If you look at the way that, uh, that we're advancing, enhancing and transforming and cultivating that way, the way that we're doing things is, you know, with Colonel Dula and Chief Popovic down there at, at the wing, uh, the commander is Colonel Dula and the command chief is Chief Pop. Uh, they're doing, they're doing really, really amazing things down there for, to enhance the pipeline and to, I mean, just adding in SW prep, uh, bringing in coaches and uh, those folks that are just preparing the airmen to, to be, ready to go in and to do the things that they need to do uh the human performance group and bringing in online those those specialties and uh, there's there's a lot of equipment and uh sleep studies and things that they're doing down there but uh 
Uh, that's one of the things that I've saw that's really, really advancing the way that we're doing things in SW. And uh, we're also, you know, you, the SEALs do it pretty well. So does so does the Army, but through recruiting, you know, you got to go out and, and recruit the right talent to come into the pool. Because um, if if you're just, you know, letting everybody come in, you're going to spend a lot of time and resources on somebody that probably shouldn't even have been there in the first place. So uh, that's another thing that the Special Warfare Wing is doing in conjunction with the recruiting command is to make sure that we're bringing in the right talent. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been a, a you know, the, the squadrons have definitely benefited from the stand-up of the 330th Recruiting Squadron, which so, solely focuses on the special operations recruiting side of the house. Yeah. Um, then with the new pipeline, again, we're, we're training, we're selecting and assessing much smarter than we have in the past. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, obviously we've already talked about it, but the facilities, the the trainers, I mean, people are <laughs> like world. the the world class. I mean, one of the things is there, and maybe they've been doing this for a while, but I was blown away when I went to Lackland uh, a couple months ago. But like they, uh, the barracks that they have, are you know, it's cooled to sixty five degrees at night, which is the <laughs> optimal temperature for slaving. I mean, like I would love to get my house to to sixty five. Degrees and go to sleep. It'd be amazing. <laughs> I, I try, try to get it to sixty-five, but Gina keeps coming out here and turning the thermostat up to seventy-three. Oh, that thermostat <laughs> war is very, very real. <laughs> so is that. So is that bill at the end of the month too. Right. <laughs> so Adam, you and I, we met in twenty eleven. Um, you know, I think there were just quick math. I think there were seven of us. That got shipped out to Nellis. Now, I was a, uh, a young tech sergeant at the time. Didn't really know what I was getting into. I just knew, hey, I'm going out to Nellis um, to kind of do this JTAC weapon school. I obviously knew what the weapon school was, or at least I had an idea what I thought the weapon school did. Uh, that that changed dramatically uh, after being an instructor there. But um, you showed up as a master sergeant. Do you, and so you had a lot more experience than I did and, and a better you know, operational and strategic picture than I did. Did you kind of know what we were getting into down there? So I, I had a little bit of an understanding of what we were uh, going to be asked to do. Um, you know, talking to, to flip and, and Bickle and PN prior to us all getting there, it's just like, Hey, is there, is there something on, for us to, is there a shell? Is there a fishbone diagram for us to fill in? And you know, uh, we created that ourselves. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, it I, went I, from, I I'm sorry, Chief, go ahead. No, I, I was just saying, I, I kind of had a little bit of an understanding of what we were going to do. I know it was going to be a lot of work creating syllabus and academics, but uh, I didn't realize that we were going to have to go out and try to hunt down equipment and money <laughs> and doing all the things that we did, but God, we, we did it so good, man. We really did. Yeah. I mean, you, you, um, you alluded to it earlier, but you know, we, we, it started from an idea, not, not our idea, by the way, it was the idea of, you know, some, some of the guys, uh, you know, Phil Freeman, Dave Bickle, Johnny Bravo flip yeah. all like all these guys that are, um, critical to the weapon school, um, having an idea, recognizing it that this is going to be important, then getting the right people in, and then you know the building that we happened to uh, to take over. You know, Phil Freeman was already in there. We'll call it the garage mahal, but you know he was one <laughs> guy out there at the time. And so the weapon school kind of used that whole building as their their kind of dumpster for a while. So here we are as, as a seven dudes coming in there, you know, cleaning out the building, building cages, writing classes, creating a syllabus, and then validating it to try and make it, you know, worth what everybody, you know, trying to create the idea that everybody had, um, you know, a five and a half month course. And I think we did it, but when you compare it, and I don't know... Um, you know, when the last time you, you looked at the current JTAC WIC syllabus or, or you've been out there, but the things they're doing now, those guys have taken that, uh, that program 
and sent it to the moon. It's it's unbelievable, and they're not the only ones. I mean, every single weapon school within the the grand weapon school, if you will, has done that. But seeing where we started as being part of the of its infancy and seeing where it's at now is is incredible. Yeah. So if it didn't change, the trough would still be flying F fours. <laughs> yeah, that's very very true. Yeah. And then you know, if you think about it, the infancy stage, you know, we're doing map and compass and. Maybe we got a little bit of digital stuff out there, but you know, hey, let's let's try to rig this up so that we can do saddle. <laughs> yep. So what that, they're rocking with now is it's absolutely mind blowing. But that's the speed yeah. of change. Yeah, the speed of change, and it goes right back into what General Brown's talking about. You know, accelerate change yep. or lose, right? So. Um, it, it doesn't play just within operations. It plays into everything that we're talking about with training. You know, when you were talking about basic training and the things that AETC are doing, like I would be disappointed. And I think that our force would be not what it is today, would not be prepared if basic training and the pipelines were doing today what we did back in 99 and 2000. Right. Like we would not be prepared, we would not be ready for the future fight. Um, we would not be accelerating change. We would definitely be losing, one hundred percent. Good point. So just I wasn't our, going anywhere with that. But <laughs> go for it, Brian. I just want to, for our listeners out there, if you guys don't mind talking about the magnitude of what the weapons school kind of does for the Air Force and the reason why it's like a big deal that what you guys are talking about because a lot of people are, like I said, just a little bit uh, haven't been in the Air Force and that kind of thing, and uh, I think it'd just be beneficial so they can, you know, see that you guys, uh, what you guys produced, is really making an impact. Go for it, Adam, and then I'll I'll do any cleanup shots. Okay, so uh, what the weapons school does is it it takes individuals that are already at the peak of their game, the instructors of the instructor, and then we take them into the weapons school and give them some uh, advanced academics on equipment, on munitions, on the the, uh, blast, frag, cratering aspects, GPS, terrain denial, uh, and then we go into... uh, Rotor wing academics and execution, bomber cast and execution, soft X, and then cast phase with every single MDS that's at the uh, weapon school. So you're integrated with mission planning, preparation, execution, and debriefing. And you get so in-depth into your debrief that you're able to uh, not just debrief a mission that you just did a close air support mission on. You can get into the, to the nuts and bolts of what you're doing for convoy operations, for uh, small unit tactics, for you name the event, but you're just establishing that foundation of instructor debrief and weapon school level debriefing. Um, that's that's the biggest thing that you'd learn there is uh, how to pick apart a tactical problem, come up with multiple solutions, and then be able to debrief what you've actually done to the standard to where you're identifying root cause analysis, uh, trends. Next time I will do this better than this. Uh, and you, you can come up with some, some, uh, definitely root cause analysis, which is, which is the biggest thing that we've learned through our debriefing techniques, um, coming up through the, through the TACP community and doing JTAC missions. We never really debriefed the way that we did it at the weapon school. And, uh, just those seeing those, those young, those young JTACs, uh, specifically when we when we put our first class through peaches with Dunn and Fish and and Meek and Herbie, and uh, you know just seeing what those guys when they came in to what they left out as uh, it was absolutely mind blowing. I'm like, holy crap, we did that. We we made those dudes that much better. And uh, you know, writing a paper, a weapon school caliber paper that's produced and maintained in the weapon school library. Um, and have to do a, a debrief, you know, you, you, you got to give a mission analysis for that tactical problem that the career field gives you as they send you to the weapon school. And so six months of training, uh, they put in a, a pretty high speed JTAC. And what you get on that, on the backside is an Uber, an Uber JTAC. That's uh, wicked smart. Get red gets, you know, you get some training, advanced skills and academics and some things that you never, you never, ever get exposed to if you're not at that institution. So uh, you can add on peach cause I, I, I can ramble on for hours about this. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's 
to boil it all down, I would say it's it's problem solving at at a basic and at advanced level. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Jimmy, I won't say his full name just because of the or- organization he's at right now, but Jimmy had a really good example of it. And while he was deployed, this is before he became a patch. Um, while he was deployed, there was a, a, a large mission that was, you know, everybody recognized. It was, the order was given and we needed, they needed to mission plan. And everybody's kind of looking at each other like, all right, who's going to lead this out? And immediately the patch, who I can't remember exactly, I don't even think he was going to be flying it, but he, because he was so used to doing mission planning and he knew, so the thing is, you, you talked about the MDS or the mission design series, which is what, you know, an A-10, an F-15, all the different models. So anybody wants to know what an MDS is, it's, it's the aircraft, essentially. So... We know a little bit about each one and how they work. And if, if there's something that we don't know, then we know who to reach out to and get that information from. So he would then, you know, he recognized, okay, here's the tactical problem. I have these, this pool of assets to choose from, and I need to integrate them as much as I possibly can to get the best effects. So that one guy, with the help of those experts in their respective aircrafts were able to develop a plan and go forward. And in the way that Jimmy describes this, and he's like, he said, as soon as he saw that, he was like, that is what I want to go do. And that is who I want to go be. So that that's what he did. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm rambling on about the web school because I love the institution, but what it provides, uh, the level of training and the the problem solving skills that it teaches is huge. So, so follow up question for both of you guys, really, because you know I know you guys love talking about the weapon school stuff, and I want to get a couple nuggets from you guys for those people listening out there. So, um, you're talking about how pe- people that go to the weapon school are the best of the best in their squadrons, so they're already effectively seen as the leaders within their squadrons and then you guys take them over there and make them you know into more effective leaders effectively i guess um but were there any certain traits that you guys saw as far as leadership ability that kind of thing whether it's you know the ability to public speak problem solve anything else that you specifically looked at as a qualifier for like i know this guy's probably going to do a pretty good job because the way that he's delivering this is really succinct he doesn't waste time everyone is on the same page that kind of stuff or what kind of things did you guys see that you know really made an effective leader I'm going to put that one on you, Adam, first. <laughs> okay. I know that uh, when we initially first went through the records of selecting the, the guys that when we did our panel pitch, uh, we were looking for guys that were, uh, that had a little bit of experience. We were looking it because it was the initial, uh, group group of guys that we were pushing through. We were, we we're looking for a little bit more experienced guys that were going to be able to run a program and, uh, and take everything that we've taught them and, and teach it to a larger uh, squadrons of people. Cause we were putting uh, initial attack P guys. We we're putting them at the groups so that they can go out and get weapons and tactics uh, into the squadrons. But the three characteristics that we were looking for is uh, humility, approachability, and credibility. So guys got to be humble. Uh, they can't be, they, they, they can be good, but they got to realize that they're not the best. Uh, so we looked for humility uh, and guys that were approachable, you know, through bro checks, like, Hey, is this guy really, uh, is he a, an approachable individual? Because that's the kind of person that you want to be your chief of weapons and tactics. Uh, somebody that the, that the younger aspiring JTACs are going to want to come up to. And then credibility. So uh, things that they've done throughout their career. And those are the kind of guys that we wanted to have in the weapons school. Yep. Um, so, you know, apart from those three things, I think we've all seen it. Somebody who is able to walk into a room and own it uh, and run the room. And I don't mean like, you know, coming in here, hey, I'm the one in charge or anything like that. It's just we all kind of recognize that when there's somebody that just kind of has this presence about them and and they're able to just own a room. Um, and obviously public speaking is, is great, which funny enough, public speaking is a lot different than sitting in front of a camera and doing that. I'm actually much better at public speaking than I am putting a camera in front of my face. 
So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's that's what I'd say, Brian. I mean, I there's been some amazing leaders. In fact, if you, if you look across the Air Force, General Brown was a commandant, was, uh, I think he was 2008 to 2010 or something like that, was the commandant of the weapons school. Um, I'm kind of making those dates up, but I think that's about right. You know, they, General Goldfein was a weapons school guy. So, I mean, it, these these people float up, men and women, they, they fleet up um, post-weapon school. And it's just because it's just an awesome institution to attend school and then also to be a follow-on instructor because it's great i mean whenever whenever there was a tactical problem or guys are kind of sitting around the the mission planning table and just i mean literally spitballing go what would you say if if we did this like x y and z and it's something that hasn't really been done before and and then you're talking to some f15e guys some a10 guys or something like that viper guys and and they go, well, if you do it like this, it might actually work. Okay, well, let's go fly it tomorrow and, and try it out and see what happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we tweak it some because generally the, the first idea never really worked out very well. But you tweak it a bit and then all of a sudden there's a new TTP or a tactic, techniques, and procedure that is valid and it gets validated at a weapons and tactics conference, and now that is something that is being written at the doctrine. I mean, it's just it's just those kind of things that you're shaping and impacting the rest of the force and the way that we do business. Yeah, and I think a lot of that stuff, um, you know, really applies to everything that you do for the rest of your life. Like you said, you know, thinking critically and being able to problem solve, being the person that's the calm in the room and able to think through all the extra BS that's going on. Obviously, we've all been through a lot of different uh, air crew meetings, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of talk that happens that doesn't need to happen frequently. But um, if you're that calm in the room and the person like you guys were talking about that, uh people kind of look to once a question is asked they're like you know usually a lot of uh, a lot of times they're like like you said you say what will happen if we do this or this we encounter this people will kind of look over to whoever that person is that you said has the presence in the room and you know see if they have an answer because oftentimes more than not they have something that's valuable at least for input to help other people think and that kind of stuff and not being the cocky person in the room. And that's super critical for especially people that are going into, um, you know, the special warfare because you're going to be in a lot of situations where, you know, potentially you could show off and that kind of stuff, but that's yeah. not necessary. So, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting perspective. And I just want to get you guys take on all that kind of stuff since you saw a lot of higher functioning, like we talked about in the beginning, uh, individuals going through that school. Yeah. All right, Adam. Well, we're kind of hitting the point now where we're going to wrap it up. But before we do, we generally always ask, especially somebody that's kind of at your level, what advice you would give to, um, and we usually give it to the, you know, we ask, hey, for the 18-year-old that's about to come in, but I'd kind of like to expand that with you, just given your position in ATC or Air, Air Education and Training Command. I know we've been throwing out acronyms like crazy. So, um, so for these new airmen, how about that? That are already in, uh, and they're going through basic and their respective tech school, and they're probably checking into their squadron for the first time. Like, what advice would you give to them? Uh, I would say there's a there's a huge difference from going to work and actually showing up. So if you show up to something, you're going to give your, your full attention, your ability, your everything that you got in you. So I would say show up to work every day, ready to give, give everything that you can uh, to the defense of our nation. Um, be physically fit. Uh, there is a lot, of, a lot of studies out there that show your physical fitness ties directly to your mental acuity. So if you're getting a workout in and you're keep making that a foundation of your life, is to keep yourself physically fit because the best way to stay in shape is to not get out of shape. And, uh, and it correlates right into your ability to, to think tactically through the things that you're doing. So uh, give your best each and every day, show up to work and make sure that you're PT and eating right, sleeping right, and being physically ready to do the things that we need you to do. So not hammering back three or four monsters a day. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Everything's good <in> moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just say that because we did a dorm walkthrough or whatever, and, and the oh, yeah. the vending machine right. had nothing but monsters and Red Bulls. I was like, wow, I'd die. I would yeah. die. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Adam, Chief, really appreciate you coming on. Um, you've always been a good friend of mine, you know, and, and uh, it's fantastic to see where you have taken yourself from, you know, TACP, TACP Schoolhouse, uh, Weapon School Instructor, Squadron Superintendent, Group Superintendent, Two Wings, and and now uh, Second Air Force Command Chief. It's pretty awesome, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next and what you go to next, because I know that you all, you'll be extremely successful, and, um, you know, you've got Gina, who's great, backing you the entire way, and, and I've always got your back as well as uh, some of the other guys. So thanks for coming on. And uh, again, you're always welcome. Yeah, who you are. Appreciate you guys. All right, everybody. You guys go out there and earn each breath. Let it.